Our scripture text today comes from the New Testament, Colossians chapter 3. And if you are able, I'm going to invite you to stand right now for the public reading of God's truth. Let's stand together and give our attention to the reading of the scriptures. Colossians 3, I'll be reading verses 12 through 14. Let's hear God's word. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Here ends the reading of scripture. You may be seated. On May the 25th, 1979, six-year-old Eaton Potts left the apartment where he lived with his parents, Manhattan, New York City, and for the first time walked alone to the school bus stop. But Eaton never got on the bus, never made it to school, never got home. He simply disappeared. Here's his picture. His disappearance led very quickly to the police and neighbors gathering together to do an all-out search that extended over many, many days, still no sign of this child. His picture was plastered all over that part of the city. Story got picked up by TV networks. His picture was even on milk cartons. Some of you are old enough to perhaps recall when the picture of somebody who was missing uh, was appeared on uh, milk cartons. So it was splashed all over the place. But sometime later, they found his remains in a dumpster. The case went cold until 10 years ago, 2012, when the brother-in-law of the man who was ultimately convicted of the murder of this child came forward to tell authorities of his suspicions. And the man, Pedro Hernandez, was charged with the, the murder of this child. He then confessed that he had lured this boy into a basement where he suffocated him, put his body in a plastic bag, and left it in the garbage. Mr. Hernandez, who had a history of mental illness, was finally sentenced in April of 2017, just five years ago. Mr. Patz, the father of the child, pictured here, addressed Mr. Hernandez in court at the time of this man's sentencing. And this is what he said to the man who had killed his boy. You took our precious child and threw him in the garbage. I will never forgive you. The God to whom you pray will never forgive you. You are the monster in your nightmares, and you will join your father in hell. The story, I think, draws our attention to the complexity of the issue that we're talking about today. As we continue our series dealing with conflict, we come to this whole issue of forgiveness. I want to remind you of the two major reasons why we're involved in this series right now in our church's history. First of all, 
you may recall back in the fall, we did a, an assessment of our congregation where you got to speak into it, an assessment that was administered uh, with the aid of Vital Church Ministry. And you said as a congregation, among other things, that we don't really handle conflict all that well. It's not to my knowledge that we're involved in a great theological or moral conflict. It's just that you didn't think we handle this issue particularly well. And so there are practices that we need to learn if we're gonna handle conflict well. So that's the first reason for this series. The second reason for this series is because we live in a broken world where people hurt us. I don't know what it might be for you. Perhaps as a child growing up, your parents or one of your parents made you feel like you were a total screw up, just a failure, couldn't do anything right. Or maybe you had an abusive boss along the line or a coworker who blamed you for something you did not do and it cost you your job. Maybe a spouse walked out on you, leaving you perhaps even with young kids. You were involved in the church, either this one or some other congregation where somebody badly mistreated you. Or maybe it was a family member who hurt you years ago and it's been very, very difficult for you to get over the pain. And so we stew on it, don't we? We play it over and over again in our minds. And then we show up for church on a warm July Sunday morning at City Church and hear that the text is this verse from Colossians 3. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now, in dealing with this topic today, um, I'm sure that many of us have been deeply wounded at one time or another. The last thing I want to do is minimize your pain by saying something like, well, just forgive, you know, get over it, move on with your life. I can't imagine that the father of Eden Pats could quickly get over the loss of his son. And that might be the case for many of us. So because many of us know what it's like to be lied to and maligned and, and ripped off and called names and bullied, we've all had those kinds of experiences as well. We all then need to come under, including myself today, under the authority of the word of God and allow it to speak to us concerning this issue because God's desire is that you and I know some healing and some harmony in our lives, some peace, and some joy. And he knows that this is the pathway by which we need to get there. So if you have your sermon uh, notes, you notice I'm going to attempt to answer the three questions you see on your outline dealing with this topic. What, first of all, is forgiveness? What is that all about? Second question, why do we need to practice it? And then what's the motivation for us to do so? So first question, you see it on, the, on the, the screen right now. What does it mean to even forgive? So when the Apostle Paul says in our verse, forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone, what in the world does that mean? What does it mean to forgive a grievance? Well, I wanna begin with some negatives because there are a number of things that are simply not included in biblical forgiveness, and I wanna share five of those with you uh, right now. 
not all at once. <laughs> the first of the five is this. Forgiveness does not mean forgetting. Forgiveness does not mean forgetting. Now, it's true that God extends to us, Jeremiah 31, this incredible promise, I will forgive their wickedness and will never again remember their sins. Sure appears like God forgives and forgets, right? But in another sense, that's totally impossible for God to do. The scriptures present a God to us who is all-knowing. And he doesn't cease to be all-knowing when it comes to the issues of wrongdoing on our part. Can you imagine if God had a memory failure of some type when it comes to my many sins? Add to that all of your many sins throughout the, you know, your lifespan. And that of all billions of believers throughout history. I mean, we're talking about a gigantic gap in knowledge, right? So it's impossible. So what does this statement, this promise really mean? It's making use of a human analogy to underscore the fact that when we ask God for forgiveness, as far as he's concerned, the issue is over, never to be raised again. So if you were to say to God today, right now, uh, Lord, about that sin that I committed in the car while driving to City Church this morning that I asked you to forgive, that disrespectful tone and, and comment of mine, uh, he would say, in essence, what are you talking about? Okay, because he has completely forgiven it, and as far as he's concerned, it's history. So when you and I forgive someone's grievance against us, we may or may not forget it. I can't imagine, frankly, that the father of this child, uh, Ian Patz, would ever be able to forget what happened to his son in May of, of 1979. So forgiveness does not require you to forget the offense. I mean, that's impossible. Secondly, neither does forgiveness mean the immediate restoration of a broken relationship. Now, let's just say, for the sake of illustration, that uh, you've been abused, perhaps by a spouse. Could be uh, a woman, you know, your wife or partner, um, because men these days are reporting to the authorities that they've been abused by their female partner or wife, or let's just say it's your husband who has abused you. So you're separated, the husband is out of the home, but a couple days later he comes back and says, honey, I'm so sorry, that was wrong for me to do, please forgive me, and you say, okay, I forgive you. Does that mandate that you have to return your husband into your family life, into your home? There are pastors around this country who would say, absolutely, that's what a good, godly, submissive wife is supposed to do. And I want to tell you today, no, that's not the requirement at all. Your safety and that of your child may require that you continue to be separated until such time as through a period of going through Christian, ideally Christian counseling to address the issues in your husband's life and then to show clear signs of behavioral transformation, that may take some time. Only then should you consider, and maybe initially it's, it's a weekend visit or you know, eventually uh, 
coming back. But forgiveness does not mean the complete restoration of trust. It does not mean the complete restoration of a broken relationship. Thirdly, forgiveness does not mean that people are not to be held accountable for their wrong behavior. Absolutely not. When someone sins against you, and we're not talking about some personality quirk kind of an issue, some minor deal. We're talking about something that really wounds the heart. When somebody does that against you, let's say it's a member of this church. Do you know what the Bible says you're to do? I'll tell you what many of us typically at least consider doing, and that is going to our small circle of trusted friends and telling our trusted friends what this person did against us. In other words, we engage in gossip. Is that what the Bible encourages us to do? Well, of course not. What does scripture say? Well, week one in this series dealing with conflict, we took a look at these verses of scripture from Matthew 18. This is what God says we're to do. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. Just between the two of you, if they listen to you, you've won them over, great. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church, more than likely the spiritual leaders of the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector, in other words, a non-believer. Persons to be excommunicated by the church. Now here's the point. The church holds this individual accountable for the wrong actions. Now let's just say that the actions against you are criminal in nature. What then? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 13 what the state is to do. This is what he says. Rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. So the Bible does not teach that forgiveness means we don't hold people accountable for their wrongdoing. We can forgive. They can come to us and say, I'm sorry, I, I did this to you. Please forgive me. And we say, sure, I can do that. Great. But there are consequences of people's wrong behavior, and forgiveness does not mean that they're to be set aside. All right, number four, forgiveness does not mean minimizing your pain. Now, we might tend to think, okay, if I've got to forgive this person, that means essentially I say, well, no big deal, and we sort of you know, attempt to blow it off. If we're really wounded, I mean, that's not being truthful, is it? God does not require you to minimize your pain. So that's number four. One more I want to mention. Forgiveness does not mean that there cannot be righteous anger for your hurt. As a matter of fact, the righteous anger may linger even after you have forgiven the person. Why is that? Well, that's because forgiveness oftentimes is a process. In fact, the very verb that's found in our verse to forgive is in the present tense. Present tense verbs in Greek refer to ongoing action, repeated action and behavior, indicating you may need to repeat the process of forgiveness again and again 
depending on the severity of the offense and the nature of your pain, I mean, it may take years to begin to heal and for that pain to subside. So, if forgiveness doesn't mean any of those things, what in the world does it mean? Well, forgiveness, the word, comes from the world of finance and business. And it essentially means to cancel a debt against somebody else. To illustrate its usage, I think it was two or three years ago, uh, at commencement exercises at Morehouse College. The speaker that morning, um, Robert Smith, got up and told the graduating class that all of their student loans had been canceled because he paid for every single one of those loans a total of $40 million. That's forgiveness. That's canceling the debt, right? Well, when someone wrongs us, it's, a, it's as if a debt has been incurred. Now, the debt could be legal, it could be moral, it could be emotional, or some combination of the three, but the debt, you know, it could be so small that we easily just deal with it and forgive it and it's not a, a major concern, or it could be so large and overwhelming like the murder of a six-year-old boy but the debt raises, the issue raises an issue of debt. I mean, we feel that we have been wronged, and somehow or other, this person owes us something. I mean, after all, they hurt me. They slandered me, they lied to me, they ruined my reputation, they cheated me, they robbed me of my happiness, maybe they stole my spouse, they hurt people I love, and I. Basically, the attitude often is, I want to ruin them. And God is saying, no, uh, forgive the debt. And we think, seriously? Well, look at what S. Lewis Smedes writes in his book, The Art of Forgiveness. This is what he says. Our opponents feel no pain when we attack them in our dreams. But meanwhile, our fantasies become a catheter dripping spiritual poison into our system. So instead, if I were to say to you, I forgive you, I'm canceling the debt. How am I doing it? I'm doing it by making three very significant promises. I hope you will write these down because they represent the very essence of what forgiveness is all about. Number one, I am promising that I'm going to avoid holding the offense over your head. I'm not going to repeat it. I'm not going to continue to bring it up every time I see you. No. Not if I have forgiven you. Secondly, I'm also promising that I'm not going to tell anybody else about it either. My closest circle of friends. Now, if this is a court situation because a crime has been committed, that's one thing. But I'm promising I'm not going to go gossip about what you've done to me. Not if I've forgiven you. And thirdly, I'm also promising I'm not going to dwell on the wrong done to me so that it leads to a lot of feelings of self-pity. So those three promises are always part of biblical forgiveness. So I want to ask you some questions this morning that will enable each one of us to measure our forgiveness quotient. Six questions. Just think about these. Number one. 
Do you find your mind renewing past hurts, reliving the wounds over and over again? Do you secretly hope for the failure of the person who hurt you? Are you delighted when those who hurt you get what's coming to them? Do you find yourself saying, well, I don't have anything against her, but if I never see her again for the rest of my life, that's okay too. Are there extreme emotions that tend to arise when memories of that person and what he or she did are brought up? And finally, do you find yourself exaggerating the extent of the offense so that the person is made out as a total monster to your friends? If these are common themes in your life, more than likely you have not forgiven that individual. And uh, what Paul's concern about in this verse, I believe, is that he's encouraging us to engage in forgiveness because he knows it's going to set us free from the bondage of bitterness. He's aware that when we refuse to forgive, we become enslaved to the person who hurt us. So instead, forgiveness is canceling a debt against the person by making these three promises. I'm not going to bring it up to you, I'm not going to tell anybody else about it, and I'm not even going to dwell on it myself in self-pity. All right, why should I forgive? I mean, let's face it, forgiveness can be one of the most difficult decisions we make regarding somebody. But if you, you know, have the life of God within you, I mean, this is what he's calling us to do. But the question is why? Why should we do this? And I want to share with you three very significant reasons. Number one, we need to forgive because one evidence that we have been genuinely, we have genuinely asked God to forgive us of our sins is that we forgive the wrongdoings of others. Last series, messages dealt with the Lord's Prayer. And you may remember this petition. We dealt with each one of the petitions in the Lord's Prayer. This one. Matthew 6, verse 12, finds Jesus encouraging us to pray these words, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. There are six petitions that make up the Lord's Prayer. When Jesus finishes his instruction in that prayer, this is the only one forgiveness to which he returns to give additional commentary. And this is what he says in the next couple of verses. For if you forgive others when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. What in the world does Jesus mean? I mean, is he saying that my forgiveness of, of the things I've done depends, is conditioned, conditional upon my forgiving others? Well, no, no, that's not what he means. Forgiveness is not something we earn by being good boys and girls, forgiving the sins of others. Forgiveness is unmerited. It's all of God's incredible grace. Then what in the world is Jesus saying? Well, he's recognizing the fact that um, if God is going to forgive me of my sins, then love and grace and mercy that I've received demand that I forgive the person who has wronged me. That's what he's saying. So in the future, there are going to be times when I'm going to fail God. 
if I have genuinely asked God to forgive me, and I have then tasted the sweetness of his grace and forgiveness, the evidence will be that I will forgive those who have wronged me. And so if I don't forgive, I mean, it simply shows either I'm not serious about asking God to forgive me, or I don't appreciate very much the extent of his mercy to me in Jesus Christ. So if I don't forgive, it just shows one of those issues to be the case. So again, let me draw your attention to our text. Here's a paraphrase of Colossians 3.13. Be ready to forgive, never hold grudges. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Now maybe you suffered a terrible hurt, but God forgave you and not one of us has had to endure what Jesus Christ endured on the cross and the holy wrath of God to satisfy his justice so God could justly forgive you. Nobody has had to deal with those kinds of issues. And so that then becomes the motivation for us to forgive. All right, secondly, we forgive because resentment will make us miserable. Nelson Mandela once made this statement. Resentment is like drinking poison and then hoping it will kill your enemies. That's good, yeah. So resentment always hurts you more than it does the other person. I know of, of a few individuals who continue to this day to harbor a lot of bitterness against individuals who have moved out of their lives, out of the picture. I mean, maybe the offense occurred even decades ago, but it's as if this person is still ruining them in the present. Doesn't have to be that way. So you can choose to forgive or you can choose to hang on to your heart, but you can't do both. Now, according to Mayo Clinic, just a about a year or so ago, they came out with this statement, when someone you care about hurts you, you can hold on to anger, resentment, and thoughts of revenge, or embrace forgiveness and move forward. But again, you can't do both. Now, the Mayo report goes on to say that refusing to forgive causes us to become depressed. Did you know that? It often causes us to live in the past, we bring bitterness and anger into even new relationships, and we lose purpose in life. Perhaps the one individual, maybe more than most, who understood this was the African-American Baptist pastor, civil rights uh, advocate, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr who, as you know, was assassinated by a white racist in April of 1968. He was 39 years of age. At his funeral, a friend got up and described in summary fashion some of the hatred this man endured. House bombed, living every day for 13 years under the constant threats of death, maliciously accused of being a communist, stabbed, slugged in a hotel lobby, jailed over 20 times, betrayed by friends, and yet this man had no bitterness in his heart, no rancor in his soul, no revenge in his mind, and went up and down the length and breadth of this world preaching nonviolence and the redemptive power of love. The question is, how in the world could he do that? 
And here's his own explanation. He who is devoid of the power to forgive is devoid of the power to love. It's impossible even to begin the act of loving one's enemies without the prior acceptance of the necessity over and over again of forgiving those who inflict evil and injury upon us. So we forgive because if we don't, resentment makes us miserable. Here's a third reason I wanna share with you. We forgive because we're gonna need more forgiveness in the future. Unfortunately, you and I are not done messing up and even failing God. And so there will be times in the future when we're gonna need God's grace of forgiveness. Someone once came up to the 18th century English uh, preacher, uh, John Wesley, to say how this man had offended him and Dr. Wesley, there's no way I can forgive him. To which Wesley responded by saying that I hope you never sin. Yeah, I mean, we can't receive what we're unwilling to give to others. Let me remind you of Matthew 6:15. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. All right, so that brings us to a third question. How can I do this? How can I forgive? What's the motivation for doing so? Let me draw your attention again to our text. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. So how has the Lord forgiven you? I want to share with you this morning four key words that summarize exactly how the Lord has forgiven you. Now, I realize that some of us spend a lot of time over the years in churches, and we've heard a lot of sermons, some of which say things that stick, and a lot of other things that simply do not. So I'm going to repeat this morning something I've shared with you not all that long ago, and I'm hoping that these four key words will stick. And that you, if you are ever in a situation where you need motivation to forgive somebody who deeply wounded you, you'll come back to these four words. So I encourage you to write them down. Number one, God forgives you instantly. Nehemiah 9.17. You're a God of forgiveness, always ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to become angry, and full of love. So God is always ready to forgive you. And that becomes part of the motivation. Forgiving instantly, immediately, no delays, soon as we ask for forgiveness. Number two, God forgives completely. Colossians 2.13. He has forgiven all your sins. He has utterly wiped out the evidence of broken commandments which always hung over our heads. Now, what in the world does that phrase mean? Sin is defined theologically as a lack of conformity to the law of God, to his commandments. So this is saying he has utterly wiped out the evidence of broken commandments, which always hung over our heads. All of those failures wiped them out and has completely annulled it by nailing it to the cross. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, God forgave you instantly. He forgives you not just of some of your sins. He forgives all of them through Christ. Wow. 
And so that's the motivation to forgive others. Thirdly, God forgives repeatedly. Matthew 18 tells the story of a time that Peter comes to Jesus with a question. Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who has who sins against me up to seven times. The law basically said you were obligated to forgive up to three times. So here's Peter probably thinking of himself as some kind of a great spiritual giant. I'll double that number from three to six and I'll add another one on for good measure up to seven times, Lord. And Jesus, of course, replies by saying in the next verse, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. In other words, there's no limit to forgiveness. So God forgives instantly, continually, repeatedly. That's the motivation. One more I wanna share with you, and that's the word freely. God forgives freely. This is amazing. This is where grace really shines through. Because oftentimes we feel as though we ought to be paying something, doing something, to deal with this debt of sin of, that I've committed. And of course you can't because it's already been paid for. And so look at this paraphrase of Romans 3, 23 and 24. Yes, all have sinned, yet now God declares us not guilty of offending him if we trust in Jesus Christ, who in his kindness freely takes away our sins. Now free doesn't mean cheap or inexpensive. The reality is, as I mentioned a few moments ago, this cost Jesus Christ his life. God, because of his holiness, cannot simply wink at wrong behavior, doesn't say, well, boys will be boys and girls will be girls and blows it all off. He can't do that. His justice demands payment. And this is drawing our attention to the fact that everything has been paid. It's all, the entire debt has been paid. And that then is the motivation for us to freely forgive the offenses of others against us. So, who do you need to forgive today? Maybe your answer is, well, Rich, honestly, no one. In which case, that's great, but I suspect going into a new week, you know, you may need the teaching sometime this week or even shortly thereafter. So Jesus says in Matthew 18, 35, that we're to forgive others from the heart. Does that person know that they hurt you? If not, you know, you need to go. You need to have that conversation as Matthew 18 instructs us to do. But if they do know, then when they come to you to verbalize how they've hurt you, I'm sorry, please forgive me, then you can verbalize your forgiveness. So will you seek by God's grace to forgive others instantly, completely, repeatedly, and freely? I open today with a story of Eaton Pats. What would you say to Eaton's dad if he <clears throat> happened to contact you and ask your opinion on how he should handle the convicted murderer of a six-year-old boy? What would you say? I'm not sure I know what I would say. I mean, I hope at one point I'd be able to tell Mr. Pats, I've never lost a son. So I can't really enter into your loss 
It's not my experience, but I hope I could go on to share with him, but God did. God did lose a son, and by trusting in Jesus Christ, Mr. Pats, you can experience God's grace of forgiveness for yourself, as well as experience the motivation to begin the process of forgiving your son's murderer. Because God has forgiven us in Christ, we can, over the long haul, forgive others, leading to joy, the restoration of peace, and freedom and harmony in our lives. May God grant that to each of us for his glory. Let's pray together. Well, perhaps the message has stirred up memories that need to be addressed in your life. Maybe you've been living in a self-imposed prison of anger and bitterness, and it's time simply to let all of that hurt go, time to forgive. So you may want to pray this prayer silently after me. Father in heaven, only you know how much I hurt. Only you know how much I've hurt others by my actions. So I know I need to let it go. So I cry out and ask for your strength to do that, to forgive. Thank you for forgiving me. Lord, I know that I'll never have to forgive anyone else more than you have forgiven me. And I know that bitterness hurts me the most and that I need your forgiveness every day. So Lord, today, I'm choosing to let it go regardless of how I feel. And every time that memory comes back, help me to keep on letting it go until the pain is gone. Jesus Christ, I reach out to you for your help. Help me to forgive others, even as you in grace have forgiven me. For the glory of your name I pray, amen.